But then he explained, for this reason, I came into the world. But understand something, my kingdom is not of this world. And this, my brothers and sisters, is so powerful for his people to gather or to grasp because if you don't recognize you are not part, you are not of this world, you will not operate in the power and the authority Yeshua operated in. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The epic showdown between the Savior and Satan that began at the birth of Yeshua comes into clear focus in the closing chapters of Matthew. When Yeshua was a toddler, Satan used King Herod, who committed mass murder, hoping to have Yeshua murdered. This caused his parents to flee to Egypt for his protection. At the beginning of Yeshua's earthly ministry, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil who tried to convince Yeshua to commit suicide by jumping from the pinnacle of the temple. Throughout his ministry, Satan used the religious leaders who plotted and made several attempts to have Yeshua murdered at the hand of the people. Join us in the final verses of this chapter of Matthew as it looks as if Satan has finally succeeded in his plot using the religious leaders, rulers, elders, the people, and the Gentiles to put the Savior to death and in his ministry. The message title in this podcast is The Savior and Satan. So, let's study. Today we are in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be looking at verses 45 through 66, and we're going to be talking about the Savior and Satan. Those of you who received the introduction to this particular teaching, the description, the epic showdown between the Savior and Satan that began at the birth of Yeshua comes into clear focus In this closing chapter and in the next chapter, we're going to see some serious power that I'm praying and hoping that all of us will be able to grab a hold of, hold on to, and walk out over the course of our lives. When Yeshua was a toddler, Satan used King Herod, who committed mass murder, hoping to have Yeshua murdered. This caused his parents to flee to Egypt for his protection. And what you're going to see is going to be exposed in this particular teaching. There is no power, no government, no institution, no nation, no country that has the authority and the power that the Almighty has manifest. And there's none that are interested in doing Jehovah's will in the earth. Every nation, every country is about his self-preservation about his self-exaltation to be recognized by all the other nations in the earth. And it doesn't matter what is called. We're going to see as Messiah continues to manifest the plan and the will of the almighty, that there's only one government that we should be really concerned about and faithful to. At the beginning of Yeshua's earthly ministry, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy spirit to be tempted of the devil who tried to convince Yeshua to commit suicide by jumping from the pinnacle of the temple. 
Now, we don't know, we weren't there, we don't see visually how this occurred, whether it was physical or whether it was supernatural. But one thing we do know is that the enemy was communicating to the Almighty in Messiah, communicating to Messiah to do what? Commit suicide. I want you to think about that for a moment, because there are individuals who are contemplating suicide today. There are individuals who have contemplated and carried out. And what we see, regardless of what we attribute it to, the same devil from the beginning that tried to get the Messiah himself to commit suicide is at work in the earth today trying to get people to commit suicide. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's a supernatural struggle. It's always been, and it will be until Messiah come, which is why it's so important for us to understand our supernatural authority that we have been given. If you try to deal with this issue in this life in your natural, you are already defeated. At the beginning, throughout his ministry, Satan used the religious leaders <laughs> who plotted and made several attempts to have Yeshua murdered at the hand of the people. And so what do we see at work? We see religion and the people of religion at work against Messiah. In the final verses of this chapter of Matthew, it looks as if Satan has finally succeeded in his plot. And look at who he used. Using the religious leaders, rulers, elders, the people, and the Gentiles. And that phrase, and the Gentiles there, is in reference to the most powerful entity in the earth at the time. And that was Rome and the Romans, the government, to put the Savior to death and end his ministry. Do you think the government of this country care about your religion? Now, within the Constitution, it talks about, you know, that it cannot subscribe to any particular religion. <laughs> it talks about freedom of religion, which gives every person, every citizen, every person who become a citizen, the freedom to exercise their religious freedom, whatever that religion is. The religious leaders, rulers, elders, and the people are diligent in their attempts to preserve and save their lives, their religion, their place in society, and their way of life to the point of violating the very religion they were trying to preserve and save. I can tell you today, brothers and sisters, being part of different denominations, every denomination in the religious community wants to dominate. Its whole purpose and goal is to dominate. Why? Because it identifies itself as the one true religion and all other religions are counterfeit as relates to that particular religion. Some of them will come out and say it. If you're not part of this denomination, you're going to hell. Others don't say it, but they propagate their doctrine and want to take that doctrine worldwide and they don't necessarily associate or affiliate or come into any kind of relationship with other denomination religion. That should tell us something. 
Because most of us, if not all of us, have been in some religion. And you know, if you were faithful to that religion, the propaganda of that religion is that you were part of the one true religion. If you weren't, you wouldn't have been a part of it. You would have been a part of another. (laughs) But we also know that there is competition in religion. The enemy did not care about the religious systems. It cared about the will of the enemy to overcome and to dominate the people of the world, basically creation and all created life. Little did they know they were blinded by their religion. And there are people today who are blinded by their religion. They're so blind to the degree to where they look at anyone who's doing any part of the first part of the book (laughs) as being somewhat problematic, not realizing they've been used or is being used by Satan. Now, throughout the Bible, Satan AKA, as some would like to call it, Hasatan. I've had individuals tell me that, you know, when I say Satan, it bothers them. That I should say Hasatan or, or, you know, it's like those words, for some reason, that word does something negative. There are many names in the Bible or titles in the Bible in reference to the devil. The first we find in Genesis is the serpent. Then we find also the adversary, the dragon, the devil, and of course, Satan. Revelation 12, nine captures several of these titles in a single verse. And the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And it's important for us to see because we who are followers of Messiah recognize that there are entities in the earth that is in opposition or that is adversarial to us and the purpose and calling in which we've been called to. There are entities in the earth that is trying to stop you. There are entities in the earth that is trying to trip you up, to cause you to detour, to look to something else for your satisfaction, to put your trust or your faith in something else other than holy in the hand of the almighty. And because of the invisibility, the supernatural aspect of our lives is very difficult to trust in something you cannot see. It's easy to say we have faith that we put our trust in it, in the almighty, but our actions will determine where our faith really is. The fallen angel, Satan and his fallen angels have infiltrated every segment of society from the highest office in governments to the back alleys of the ghettos to deceive and mislead or lead mankind away from his creator. It doesn't matter. Every strata, every segment, every area. And interestingly, the enemy uses the very 
entity we call church. Now, there are some caveats to this because when you begin to look at the schemes, the wiles, the tactics of the enemy, he comes in a variety of ways. You know, one of the ways the enemy will come at you is for prayer. Think that's strange. I remember the early days of my ministry in the Baptist church because of the circumstance, my wife and I, we were going through a divorce when I first started church. So when I showed up at church, I was, I looked like a single man to the sisters in the church who was looking for husbands. Now that's common. You know, sisters go to church looking for a godly man, looking for a husband because that's what they want. Unfortunately, many married before they got to the church (laughs) and only to find out coming into faith that the man they married was maybe not Jehovah's choice for them from their estimation. When I came, I came alone. I wasn't alone, but I came alone. Why? Because I was going through a divorce. My wife didn't want anything to do with us with me and from the perspectives of the spectators, I looked like I was available. I wasn't available, but that's what I looked like. And I'll never forget that one of the ladies in the congregation invited me to come and to pray over our apartment or to pray. I don't remember the specifics, But I ended up going to pray. Now I'm going to do the Lord's work. But she had other plans. Now it's something how the enemy would use prayer to lure you into a situation to hopefully spring a trap. Fortunately, I didn't buy it. I didn't fall for it, but I learned a lesson. It was at that time that I learned, I see why, or at least possibly why, the Almighty sent his disciples out two by two. (laughs) There's wisdom in that. I also learned boundaries. Now, it took me a while to get that one, but I learned it. There are people who are trying to set you up. You don't even realize they're setting you up. And especially in government. I remember when I got involved in community as a religious leader invited by the mayor invited by the governor invited into places because they wanted to communicate and get their message out to the religious community and saw the religious community as a mechanism platform to reach the bulk of the people because if the bulk of the people in America are church going folk then the church becomes a target for religious people in their agenda to get their message out. Now they're not concerned about the church. They're concerned about the platform and the message that they need to get out to get as many as they can to vote for them, to put them in the office. Now it was always strange to me how individuals would take an oath on the Bible to uphold a political document. I never really got that. But I also 
you know, I've, I've seen in court TV and other places where they make you put your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the whole truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so I see the use of the Bible in society, but not the content of the Bible. When it comes down to the way the enemy works, doesn't matter who he used. In fact, the Almighty used the strategy of the enemy to trick the enemy in doing his work. What did he say? If the religious leaders had known, there were certain things hid from religious leaders and the religious leaders believed that they were doing his work. But when you look at the inward, the thinking behind it, it was all about preservation of life and place in society. I remember how proud I was when I can tell people that I've communicated with the governor, how proud I was when I can tell people I had lunch with the mayor because there's a sense of pride that is associated when you now are being invited to the table of power. And others look at you and want to know, how did you do that? How did you get into that? How did you get on the chief advisory board? How did you get into this place? How do you have these pictures and, and, and here you are rubbing elbows with powerful people? Because that's how society see it. Powerful people. And the most powerful of the people are not trying to advance the kingdom of Jehovah. It's about advancing their kingdom, their government. Don't ever forget that. Paul informs us in 1 Corinthians concerning those Satan used among the body of Messiah. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. I intentionally left that. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So they're ministers of righteousness, at least that's what it looks like on the surface, that are actually transformed fallen demons, infiltrated being used to propagate and to perpetuate the system of religion that does not set people free, but in essence, create a bondage among them and then have them going after other religious people that are not part of their group or their cult or their organization or their denomination. These deceitful workers, false apostles, so-called ministers of righteousness have deceived multitudes and led them away from Jehovah and his commandments while convincing them they're saved by grace alone, believing they don't have to do any work and can serve Jehovah however they choose in Jesus name. Now, I know folks maybe get upset at me, but that's all right. That's your business. I got a job to do. Verse 45, Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, and that's about 12 noon, there were darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour, 
about 3 p.m. Now notice this, from 12 to 3, there's darkness over the land. That's a three-hour time period, right? Yeshua had been crucified at the third hour. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this. Mark tells us, which is around 9 a.m. that day, Mark 15, 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was what? The third hour. And they crucified him. Now, I know that there's some out there who are going to, because I've had these emails too. Well, brother, are you, are you, you know, there's Hebrew time and there's Roman time. Because, <laughs> see, they're reading from a different Bible. And they've heard some different teachings. Because just, you know, just as there are those who believe that Yeshua was crucified on Passover and that the religious leaders had changed Passover and Yeshua kept the true Passover, but they did their religious Passover. I mean, there's information that people want to bring that is extra biblical, but they're convinced. Just like somebody just sent me an email that Moses divorced his wife because they're trying to justify divorce and remarriage. Well, Moses divorced his wife. Like, really? And as I'm accustomed to, please show me that. I would love, man, that would change my theology if I saw that. (laughs) Some of the stuff people come up with, it's very interesting. Now, you may not ever come across some of these folks, you know, but I'm a target. You may not be a target, but I'm a target. I'm a target for Tubbs, Dicks, Harrys, (laughs) Jessicas, and Karens. They all come for me. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes it's, it's comical. Sometimes it's like, really? And then I have to feel sorry for some people sometimes because they actually believe this stuff. They're convinced. It was about nine hours. Now, I'm, I'm pointing all this out because from nine o'clock in the morning, to the time Yeshua was actually taken down off that tree, about nine hours has transpired, depending on how you define the word even. So much happened. It was nine hours from the time he was crucified until the time he was buried. And there's a lot that took place during that nine hour period that Matthew don't capture in his gospel. So we have to kind of pull from some other places. During that time, Yeshua demonstrated his ability to endure excruciating pain within himself in defeating Satan, destroying his hold over the lives of the people who put their trust in Yeshua. And so what we see is a crucifixion. But there's a supernatural manifestation that is taking place that goes way beyond Yeshua paying the price for your sins and my sins. And if we limit what happened on that cross to that, we will not operate in what took place at the cross. And we're going to point that out to you. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, 
For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, this is powerful. John writes, after all this has happened, because now he's got the revelation of what Yeshua actually did on that cross. He's got the revelation because Yeshua knew from the day he came, from the time he started his ministry, even as we've looked at it, as we've gone through these verses, these chapters, going back to the time last week and the week before last, when Pilate asked him, are you a king? He says, are you saying this because you got a revelation or are you saying it because you heard somebody say it? But then he explained, for this reason, I came into the world. But understand some, my kingdom is not of this world. And this, my brothers and sisters, is so powerful for his people to gather or to grasp. Because if you don't recognize you are not part, you are not of this world, you will not operate in the power and the authority Yeshua operated in. He did not submit himself to men. He knew what was in man. See, men are busy trying to impress other men. Now, this, this is more of a, a male thing than it is a female thing, but there's some females who get caught up in it too. Trying to impress people. This is what all the stuff in the world is, is designed to do. You got, you know, folks who they want to wear name brands. They want you to recognize they want to drive name brands. Why? Because that stuff tells you their place in society where a lot of them are perpetrating. You're driving cars you can't afford, living in houses you can't afford. Wearing clothes you can't afford, neglecting the things that you should be concerned about. Now, if you got the funds, the money, and you want to do all that stuff, but I got caught up in that in my early days. Couldn't afford gold, so you know you buy that fake gold, the guy that turned your finger green. Why you why you wearing stuff that turn your fingers color? Because you're trying to impress somebody. Big green ring around your neck. Man, I wanted a Mercedes so bad, I bought me a Mercedes, and almost every time I drove it, I had to push it to get it started. <laughs> had my wife pushing it. <laughs> Come on, baby, push harder. <laughs> it was one of those sticks. You know, you get? And you know, I'm telling you, it's embarrassing. You out there, one leg on the ground, pushing your car. You got to... <laughs> It was a Mercedes. At least I got a Mercedes. So when I drive down, look at me. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> the kind of stuff I did. I could talk about me. Because I saw, I saw me in the raw. And what all that stuff meant to me. And the importance of making a name for yourself and being recognized and the, the harm, the, the damage, the rejection you feel when you aren't recognized. Other people getting awards and you not. 
other people getting plaques and you're not, and you're working harder than all of them. Folks don't, not recognizing your work. And therefore, when you connect recognition to your worth, all the stuff, and I'm going to tell you now, with social media, it's just made things a million times worse. This morning, you know, somebody associated me to a group. They just signed me up to a group, right? Now, they didn't sign me up to a whole lot of groups. This is why all these groups, I just send them my teachings. And then they want to, you know, report me to Facebook because I'm posting my teachings in their group. Now, I didn't join none of those groups. You, you signed me up to your group and then made it private. Now, I'm a part of your group, and I can't even come in on some of them, so I just deleted them. Others, you made me a part of your group, and, and I'm posting my teachings on your group, and now you want to report me because that ain't what your group is for. <laughs> Why you sign me up? And how do you sign me up? I, I still can't get that one. How I become part of so many groups that I didn't join. Well, anyway, now that I started me on Messenger, I'm part of Messenger groups. And when I get a messenger, it dings my phone, which distracts me if I'm at work. You know, when I'm working, especially if I'm in deep thought. And that seemed like when the dings come. Notification from Messenger from a Facebook messenger group that I didn't join. So this morning I went and I'm going to, I'm going to remove myself from the group. Now, guess what the group told me? Guess what Facebook said? If you remove yourself from the group, you will not be able to participate. And the people are going to see that you removed yourself from the group. Like, that's supposed to discourage me. Oh, they're going to see. <laughs> Let them see. Let them see. Because now, you know, that can create offense. Oh, you don't want to be a part of my group? Well, listen, when I invited you to be a come, when I wanted you to be a part of any group that I have created, I sent you an invitation. I didn't sign you up. So how dare you? And then why should I be getting a, a notification saying they're going to see you if you pull out the group? Ooh. <laughs> That's social media for you. The pressure, the likes, the views, and all that stuff, because it gives people some sense of worth when people like, and then I see saints out there saying, hey, ain't nobody liking my videos. Ain't nobody liking my posts. Let me know that you're seeing my posts. This false, fake sense of friendship. And I got people in my house texting me. <laughs> and I won't text them back. Look, I'm right here. Well, that's the way they communicate. Well, let them communicate that way. If I join in with it, then I just yielded to their way of communication. If that's not the way I want to communicate, then I'm not going to communicate that way. 
So you want to get offended because I choose not to communicate the way you want? Listen, well, do I get to get offended if you choose not to communicate the way I communicate? Is it one-sided? The pressure of society to push you and to get you to acquiesce to its demands are so powerful today that it's going to take all that is in you to resist those pressures. And it's not about running away from society. It's about standing your ground, being authentic in who you are. And if people want to be accepted, they better learn how to accept. I have chosen in my life, I will no longer have one-sided relationships. I'm not going to put the work in a relationship if you're not willing to put the work in the relationship. And everybody seems like they want to put the pressure on you to keep the relationship going. Like, really? See, Yeshua didn't go for that. He didn't fall for that. Why? Because he wasn't of this world. The worldly pressure are for people of the world. When you disconnect and recognize, then you no longer are susceptible to that pressure of the world. And this peer pressure occurs from the cradle to the grave. It don't matter how old you are, or how young you are. Like Paul says, evil communications corrupt good character. It doesn't matter. People are trying to be accepted and recognized by really, in no offense, people that, that don't even matter. Now, from a kingdom perspective, they do matter. From a worldly perspective, they, they really don't. Trying to impress people. Okay, so people see you. That's your reward. Yeshua not only came to destroy the works of the devil, he would go on to set the captives free and undo the work Satan had done in the earth due to the disobedience of Mr. and Mrs. Adam in the garden and declare all power in heaven and in earth at his resurrection. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. In a nutshell, what you're going to see Yeshua doing here is giving us, he not only died for our sins in his crucifixion, he demonstrated how to live with power over sin in his life. And then he gave us power. He gave us, you and I, power over sin on the cross. The resurrection when he declared all power over in heaven and in earth, he made that power available to you and to me. Whether you walk in it or not, it's totally up to you. Whether you walk in it or not is going to be determined by your theological perspective, your religious view, your belief system. And church has confused so many people in their belief systems and attributed power to the devil when the devil has already been defeated. Satan has no power over you. And I didn't stutter. I ain't scared of no devil. Well, brother, you better better be careful. Careful of what? (laughs) In 19, John chapter 19, now there stood by the cross of Yeshua, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Yeshua therefore saw his mother and his disciples standing by, 
whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. And after this, Yeshua, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Matthew doesn't record that. John does. Verse 26, Matthew 27. And about the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Yeshua cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's quoting from the Psalms. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calls for Elias. And straightway, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Now, at this point, understand that he's been put into the hands of the Romans. Now, from a Hebrew perspective, the religious leaders has given Yeshua over to the Romans. And what may not necessarily be clear, the Romans had various gods. They had various belief systems. So when Yeshua is speaking, whatever he's saying, they understand it. And Matthew records and interprets what Yeshua said so that we understand it, but they understood it and what they heard, or at least they thought they understood it because they heard certain words and thought that he was calling for Elijah, the prophet or Elias. After Yeshua had given, had been given the sponge filled with vinegar, he said, it is finished. John 19, 29. Now there was a set, there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Yeshua therefore had finished, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now the way religion records this is when he said it's finished, he did away with the law. When he said it was finished, Everything that needed to be done for you and I to be saved without any works or anything whatsoever, Yeshua accomplished it. This is what many people believe that when he said it's finished, <laughs> it's done. It even drove one renowned minister who was very well known in the church of God in Christ and Pentecostal circles to declare that all people now would be saved. All people that every human being that ever lived would go to heaven. That's what he declared. Cardin Pearson, just, just go out there, check him out. Don't check him out. <laughs> Whatever. But the fact of the matter is they threw him out. Now he he's part of the universal something church where everybody goes to heaven. In Matthew 27, 50, you sure when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghosts. Now Matthew doesn't record that. He said it is finished. And the question is what is finished because all a person here is it. 
And then they add their theology to it. Because it is a broad theological base to build one's religious faith on. It is finished. What? Now, we just read John because what's interesting is John wrote that. John 19. It's not in Matthew, Luke, or John. I mean, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's in John. But remember, John also wrote, for this cause, the Messiah came to do what? To destroy the works of the devil or to undo the works of the devil. Well, what did the devil do? The devil convinced, charmed, deceived the first man and woman to disobey Jehovah. That's what the devil did. That old serpent in the garden. We call it the fall of man. Now, man failed, but the Almighty made a way for man to get back up. <laughs> it wasn't one of those situations I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> he sent the Savior. And what the Savior did is he undid that. Now, what did he what happened when he undid that? When he undid that, it took those who put their faith in him back to the restoration of all things. Now, here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem with being restored is having the old mind and religious views. You see, before the fall, there was no religious views. There was man and his creator. The instructions given by the Almighty to his creation and all man had to do was obey. There was no law, no Sinai, no Moses, none of that. It was man and his creator listening to the voice and following the instructions that were given. Over the course of time, these instructions expanded. Why? Because over the course of time, man got worse and worse. From the time of the fall to the time of Messiah. Well, actually, before Messiah, I mean, you know, by the time of Noah, man had deteriorated to such a degree of incompetence, if you would, to where father said, you know, enough wiped him out, started over with the man, his wife, his sons and their wives. And then he got man went back on that track. Of course, we know now he comes confounds the language so they can communicate. And over the course of time, he separates the people say, Hey, you all are going to be my representatives in the earth. And I want to show you how to be the light to the rest of the world by simply following these instructions. The world is going to see by you following these instructions that I'm going to bless you in such a way to where I'm going to exalt you above all the nations. And though you may be the smallest of the nation and you weren't a people until I chose you to be a people, then I'm going to take you as a people. I'm going to exalt you above all the nations of the world. And I'm going to Start 
by socking the most powerful person on the planet in the mouth and delivering you all from his grasp and destroying his army in the process. Now, this is going to get the world's attention. And it did. But it also created a sense of pride in the people that had been delivered. See, this pride left individuals, people that had been delivered to think we are the chosen and therefore, you know, hey, the Almighty has already demonstrated that we are the apple of his eye regardless of what we do. Pride. And it was that same pride that led them to the point to where do we have to obey this Moses? Do we have to obey all these rules? Does it really take all that? But see, there was something in man then, and there's something in man today that hinder us from walking in the authority and power that we've been given. And what that is, is that fallen nature. That fallen nature that is connected to this world is always going to look for affirmation from the world. When you get to a point to where you no longer need the affirmation of the world, then the world is going to say something's wrong with you. They'll even tell you, you robots. They'll say things like you don't have emotions or you don't have feelings or you don't care. So how do you come to that conclusion when I demonstrate in all kinds of ways how I care? I'm there. I always make myself available. If I have something you need, I share it. I don't deny or reject except those things that are things I should reject and deny. See, the world is always trying to make you feel guilty for not coming under whatever it is recommending, suggesting, or requiring of you. It's sad that people think that if you hear what they're saying, you're going to give them what they want. If you don't give them what they want, you ain't listening. <laughs> you ain't listening to me. Well, why ain't I listening to you? Because you didn't do what I say. Oh, listening is now doing what you say. That's really what it boils down to. So I'm supposed to give you what you want, even though what you want can be harmful and detrimental to you. This is how father watch over his people. He tell us where to go and where not to go, what to avoid and order our steps. He warns us that if you give place to this thing, it's going to come in and it's going to overwhelm and overtake you. Don't give place to that. Don't deal with sorcery. Don't deal with witchcraft. Don't deal with mind control. Don't deal with all of this other idle stuff. Leave that alone. Since the fall of man, man is a mess. Man will continue to be a mess because man's got other ways. They think mankind thinks that if I get this, this will satisfy me. If I get that, that'll satisfy me. If I accomplish that, that'll make me feel better. And what you'll find is that we go through life, get stuff that we pursued only to find out what we pursued didn't satisfy. Getting certificates and awards 
and medals and all that stuff that end up in a box somewhere. Oh, yeah, you felt proud when they gave it to you. Why? Because it elevated you in front of your peers. I felt that pride. Know what it's like to have your name called from the pulpit. (laughs) To be recognized by those in leadership. To be promoted. To be ordained. To be called reverend, pastor, doctor. That stuff will go straight to your head. And it does. Well, shouldn't it, brother? Should it? Does it make you any different? Does it make you something else? What it does is it makes you proud. That's what it does. It makes you proud and you elevate yourself. And next thing you know, you're walking like, you know, you got a chest. (laughs) You got a chest anyway. You don't have to, you don't have to throw it out there. It's like, (laughs) anyway, let's keep it moving because I'm way behind. Verse 50, Matthew 27. Yeshua, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now notice this. Because notice what it says and notice what it doesn't say. And the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. When did that happen? Did that happen at the time he said it was finished because the next verse tell us what and came out of the graves after his resurrection. So this is put before the resurrection, but it doesn't happen until after the resurrection and then went into the Holy city and appeared unto many. Now, Matthew is the only one who captures this. I would have loved to see what that looked like. I really would have. Now we get some, glimpse of Lazarus circumstance. Now we didn't see Lazarus come from the grave, but we know that Messiah called him and he came forth from the grave and he had his grave clothes on. So, you know, this is probably where some of the zombie movie ideology comes from. Folks coming out the grave. Now they put it to film. Because in some sense, if these individuals have been in that grave for a prolonged period of time, which many of them were, we come to believe, then their clothes was, (laughs) again, I would have loved to, I believe I would have loved to see what that looked like. Yeshua was the first fruit, so nobody resurrected before him. According to Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians 20, or 15, verse 20, but now is Messiah risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul gets into this in various places. For since by man came death, what man? Adam. Mr. and Mrs. Adam. They are the ones who introduced death into the earth. How? Through disobedience. See, when Paul writes the wages of sin is death, he's connecting it to how death came. Death came in the earth, how? Through sin. What sin? Sin is a violation of of the law. When the man and the woman sinned against the one, the lawgiver, 
It opened the door for death. Death will be the last enemy. Why? Because death is operational in the earth. Now, here's the thing. Those who believe in him will never die. They will sleep. Death has no power over you or I if you believe in a resurrection. Because if you believe in a resurrection, death is temporary in the sense that we fall asleep awaiting for the Messiah's return. All who are dead in Messiah will get up and those who are alive will join them. Whose ever name is not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. Now that's the real death right there. But sin is what causes or brings death into a circumstance or a situation. And that came through Mr. and Mrs. Adam. For as in Adam all die. Now remember, we looked at, for those of you who don't remember, look at Genesis chapter number five. This is the book of the generation of Adam in the day that Elohim created man. In the likeness of Elohim made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. This is why I say Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Now you can use Adam and Eve all you want. Adam called Eve, Eve. Jehovah called her Adam. So when I see Adam, death came in through Mr. and Mrs. Adam when they disobeyed the Almighty in the garden. For as in Adam, 15... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Messiah the first fruits, afterwards they that are Messiahs at his coming. Verse 54, Matthew 27. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Yeshua saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying truly this was the son of God. That's what they had heard and what they saw confirmed what they had heard to them. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Yeshua from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Yeshua's disciple. Now, this is the first time we hear of, of, of uh, Joseph of Arimathea and that word even and this is why I said earlier, depending on how you define even, that here it's late evening, either from three to six o'clock or from six o'clock to the beginning of the night. And so you have the day is broken up into watches, time slots, and then you have morning and you have evening. Our association with evening is when the sun is about to set. Now, when does the evening start? Some would say that, you know, afternoon up until three is when the evening begins. And from three to sunset is the evening. Now, we know that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, Yeshua cried out or the darkness came over and then he cried out. But after that, from the time he gave up the ghosts until what we're going to see Joseph and Nicodemus go and get permission to retrieve his body and put it in a tomb. This time now expires. 
At this point, Yeshua had hung on the cross for about eight hours. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Messiah. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. Now, in Matthew, it says it was Joseph, but also Nicodemus accompanied him, according to John. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Yeshua by night. Now, we met Nicodemus in the third chapter. This man who came to him by night, who was a ruler. Nicodemus was part of the Pharisee. Now he's coming out in the broad daylight as one who is associating himself with Messiah. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Yeshua by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Yeshua and wound it in linen cloth with the spices as the manner of Jews is to bury. Now, they were adhering to the Torah. According to Deuteronomy 21, 22, if a man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be to be put to death and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of Elohim, that thy land be not defiled, which Jehovah thy Elohim giveth thee for an inheritance. So according to the law, it would be defiling to the land if a body that was hung on a tree was left overnight or left past evening and remained during the night. The people saw Yeshua as a cursed person. Why? Because according to the law and those who subscribe to the law, according to their understanding, anybody, that man must be a curse. He's hanging on a tree. Those men must be a curse. They're hanging on a tree. Paul says to us in Galatians 3, Messiah hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, when they say the curse of the law, some interpret that what Paul is saying is that the law is cursed. Now, there's curses in the law, and one of those curses is somebody who hangs from a tree. Somebody who hangs from the tree, the typical penalty for death is to be stoned. Stoning is the natural cause of death. And by the time the Romans see, most folks think that the Romans created the crucifixion. Long before there were Romans, there were those who are to be hung from a tree. Remember, when Moses was in the wilderness and the serpents, the Almighty sent the serpents, the serpents, the Almighty sent the serpents, he told Moses to take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and hang it up, erect it so that all who will see it. Yeshua used that illustration just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the son of man must be lifted up, thereby telling us how he was going to die. He was going to die according to the Torah as one who is accursed. And what does that mean? He's taking those who are under curses and what brings people under curses according to the law. Disobedience. All these blessings if you obey. All these curses if you disobey. So all disobedient people, remember the righteous didn't need a doctor or a savior. Those who are walking in a, and operating according to the instructions of the Almighty was in right standing with the Almighty. And the Bible is filled with them. Being in right standing with the Almighty doesn't mean you're never going to mess up. 
It doesn't mean you're never going to do something wrong. It doesn't mean you're not going to send your response to it. Do you continue in it or do you repent? <laughs> However, Yeshua was not a criminal nor treated like a criminal in his burial. Now the Romans and the religious leaders treated him like a, a criminal. And then they, I want to find another word for punks. They were weak, weak willed. They were cowards, wimps, not worthy to be called servants of the most high. Why? Because according to the most high instructions, blasphemy was to be dealt with by stoning. When they accused Yeshua of blasphemy, that should have been it. They shouldn't have taken him to the Romans if they were operating according to the Torah. They should have took him out and stoned him. But no, what they did is they fulfilled prophecy that he would be turned over to the Gentiles. Now, you know what's really sad What's really, really sad, and this is why I say these were weak individuals. Why do you need the Gentiles to judge in a situation to where you've already judged? Why are you taking a Hebrew to the Gentiles for judgment? You know, the scripture forbids that. We should be able to judge amongst ourselves if we use the standard that the almighty give us, Paul addressed that issue because they were taking, they were taking believers to the Gentiles to be judged in the Gentiles courts. When the almighty had given them the commands, the ordinances and judgments. And if they were operating according to his instructions, Yeshua would have never seen the inside of Pilate's, castle. And even then Pilate tried to wash his hands of it. Wife was messed within a dream. Pilate tried to release him. That just shows you the wickedness of the religion that claimed to be the representation of the most high in the earth. I can tell you today, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of wickedness going on in religion today. And this is why it's important for us to look to and follow the instructions in the book if we intend to be found pleasing in the eye, the sight of the one who gave it. Now, you may be able to please your bishop and your apostles and your popes and your archbishops and all of those religious titles and religious leaders that, you know, dress up like circus clowns. I mean, I, you know, and, and, and it's, it's something how religion has come to a point to where, you know, the more pompous looking you look, the more religious and authority and, and, and honor and, and glory. And it's like, you know what? And you all are claiming to be following who? Because I didn't see Yeshua operating like that. I saw him dressing like the people of the day. Now, the high priest and all them, they had all they pump and glory. But he wasn't part of that. 
And so what you see now in religion is a continuation of what the established church stole from the priestly system and now it's passed down through the Protestant denominations to where people want to put on all that garb and, and all those robes and, and all that stuff that make them look really, really holy. Holiness is not in what you wear. Holiness is when you follow the Holy One, keeping his holy instructions. That's how you are holy. That's what makes you holy. Now, remember, Yeshua was not a criminal. And Yeshua said, Mary, the woman, was preparing him for his burial when she anointed him with the alabaster jar of spikenard. So what do we see? Joseph and Nicodemus wasn't at Simon's house when Mary came in with the spikenard. So they're disconnected from that story. From their position and their perspective, they don't know that Yeshua has already been anointed for his burial. So they anoint him and prepare him for a burial the way they are accustomed to. Remember what Yeshua said in John chapter 12? Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly and anointed, the feet of Yeshua, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then his disciples said, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put in there. Then said Yeshua, let her alone against the day of my burying. Has she kept this? She was preparing him for his burial. Now, see the difference. Yeshua had told them, he had told his disciples, the son of man is going to be taken before the Gentiles. He's going to be crucified. But in three days, he's going to resurrect. See, Joseph and Nicodemus was preparing him for a permanent burial. <laughs> it's like he was already prepared for the burial he was going to be buried with. <laughs> but now they got him all wrapped up. I can imagine, it's like, man, he's wrapped up and he got to now get out of the wrappings, leave the wrappings in the tube. <laughs> he got all this stuff, you know, did because that's, that's their custom. <laughs> Matthew 27, 59. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now, the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate. Now, I want to deal with this for a moment. Y'all yeah, deal with it however you want to, but I want to point some things out. Preparation day or day of preparation, a.k.a prep day, preparation day or day of preparation one is not found in the Torah. The first time this phrase is used is here in Matthew. The only time that phrase is used is in, in the New Testament is in association with Passover and Yeshua's crucifixion. 
And here's the, here's the proof text, Matthew 27, 62, we read it. Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate. The first day of the day after the, see, Passover is the day which people prepare because the Passover is in the evening. It is on the day that the Passover is to be sacrificed, that the Passover is slaughtered. So the preparation is for the Passover. The day after the preparation is the first day of unleavened bread, which is a Sabbath. People hear Sabbath. This is how the Catholics were able to convince so many people that Yeshua was crucified on the on a Friday because they associate the next day with the Sabbath. And therefore, if the next day is the Sabbath, he must have been crucified on the Friday. And so Friday now becomes prep day. Matthew 15, 42. And now when the evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. Now it doesn't tell us what Sabbath it is, but the Sabbath is the first day of unleavened bread. That's the Sabbath. If you know the Torah, Luke 23, 54. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. What day? The day that the Passover was slaughtered and sacrificed. The first day of unleavened bread, Sabbath. John 19, 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover. The preparation is associated with the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, behold, your king. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, John 19, 31, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day. And here's the only clue that most people miss for that Sabbath day was a high day. Well, what's a high day? Well, the, the Torah doesn't mention a high day. And it's in parentheses, which means that the translator inserted it there to help you understand what the Sabbath day was. They besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away the first day of unleavened bread, Sabbath. John 19, 42, there lay they Yeshua, therefore, because of the Jews preparation day for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. So the Passover preparation day was not a Friday. And we're going to see as we look at the next chapter and the verses that is associated with it. It was not a Friday that year. Yeshua was not crucified on a Friday. Now, when people, when Messianics refer to Friday as prep day, because you, you know, and folks are going to do whatever they do. But when you start referring to Friday as, a, as prep day, it feeds the notion that Yeshua was crucified on a Friday because biblically preparation day in the Bible is associated with Yeshua's crucifixion, not with a Friday Sabbath or, or Friday looking to the Sabbath. Now, I hope, I hope y'all are hearing this. Why? Because when you know better, you do better. If you want to refer to Friday as prep day, I know that that may be what you find in Webster Dictionary and in some other dictionaries, because now every Friday becomes prep day when prep day in the Bible was only associated with the Passover. There you have it. Matthew 27, 63 saying, sir, we remember that that deceiver said, now they've called him a deceiver. Now it's amazing when the deceiver calls you a deceiver. People who've been deceived 
call you deceived. While he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Now they understood him to say three days. And he said three nights. Command, therefore, that the supper can be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, ye have a watch. Now that's not a Rolex. Go your way and make it as sure as you can. That watch he's referring to is a, a number and amount of guards. The word bees. Roman soldiers, and in particularly those who guarded the sepulcher. And notice, a Roman guard was made up of four to 16 soldiers. Now, those of you who may have seen the, you know, some of these Bible movies, two guys standing on each side of the, of the <laughs> it's inaccurate, but it makes for good uh, drama. The Sabbath day after the Passover, the first day of unleavened bread, they had the tomb sealed. So they went after prep day, the first day of unleavened bread, a Sabbath had the sealed tomb. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and then setting the guards or setting a watch. Now, here's what I want to leave you with, because this is important before we get into the time of prayer. Yeshua's death on the cross did so much more than pay the price for the sins of men. And this is what we really need to grasp because there's power, there's authority, there's a mindset. There's a mindset that goes with being kingdom minded. That's what it all means. To be kingdom minded is when we begin to operate in the mind of Messiah. When we begin to purpose in our heart that we're going to operate in the mind of Messiah, then we have to see how Messiah operated. And when we see how Messiah operated and we think about the mind of Messiah, then we have to compare how Yeshua operated and how he seemingly thought with the way we think. Because our actions, what we do is the outcome or the result of the way we think. Everything you do, unless it's spontaneous, you've thought about it. And the thing that we want to be is a people that compare the way we think with the way Messiah think and not confuse our thinking with kingdom thinking if it's contrary to the way Messiah thinks or thought. The way Messiah think or thought is clear. His will was to do the will of the Almighty. His words were not his own. His plan and his purpose. Now, I realize that we're humans. I realize that we're in the earth. I realize that we have responsibility. I get all that. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a boss, if you're an employee, I get all that. But the Almighty in his Torah said, hey, bosses, if you have employees, sons, daughters, and servants, this is how you deal with them. This is how you treat them. Here's their day off. Six days they work. The Sabbath day, they don't work. Your sons, your daughters, you, your servants. So if you're going to be a boss, husband, if you're going to be a husband, here's how you treat your wife. Here's how you're supposed to honor her wives. This is how you honor your husbands. And the Almighty sets all this stuff up in his instructions. The wife has her own mind to make decisions, to enter into vows and agreements 
as long as the husband is in agreement with it. The Bible teaches us if the husband says and he, he, he nullifies it, then who's the almighty going to honor? But here's the key. When a man loves his wife, what is he going to do? He's got a responsibility and an obligation to make sure that she has everything she needs, that she's taken care of, and that she's treated as an equal. You say, well, if she's an equal, she should be able to make her own decisions. She can. But the Almighty set an order. There is an order in the kingdom. So when I say my wife is my equal, I also understand the order that the Almighty has established and the authority that I have. It's not to abuse authority or to misuse authority. And the same with my children. Children, here's your responsibility. Husband, wife, children, here's your responsibility. Neighbors, here's your responsibility to each other. And so the Almighty has set out the order for his creation. Any other order other than the order the creator established is out of order. And so we now have to focus on the mind of Messiah because it is only when we operate in the mind of Messiah will we be able to effectively walk with authority over all the works of the devil. Messiah did not fall under any work of the devil. The devil had no authority, no power, no control. And he didn't let people control him. Not his mom, not his brothers, not his sisters, not his disciples, not the religious leaders, not the king, no one. So you want to operate in the mind of Messiah? Because we've been given it whether we operate in it or not. But I can tell you this, in order to operate in his mind, you're going to have to die. That's the lesson of the cross for you and I. You sure didn't have to go to the cross to defeat the devil in his own personal life because he walked all over the devil while he was alive. <laughs> he said, listen, if you, if you be like, I know who I am and I don't have to listen to thee. Now get behind me. Now I know is I'm not trying to be comical. This is a fact, Jack. You sure demonstrate it. How that should be. How I was, uh, for those of you who were watching the teaching this past last night, I saw a typo in one of the slides and it's like, okay, Arthur, you have to do better and clean that stuff up because I'm looking at that now. And I see, and this was before the day, you know, now I got Miss Sharon. She's editing all of my PowerPoints that go up online, but the ones that are live, uh, especially in this particular case, I'm going to change that now. So you should have demonstrated how. He demonstrated how to live in the kingdom, life on earth. And this is why my examples, you know, I, I hear people and they talk about their mentors. They talk about their dads and their moms in the spirit. You know, this is my spiritual mom. This is my spiritual dad. And then they look to them as their example. 
on your spiritual mom's and spiritual dad's best day, they still flawed. There's only one example. Really, there's only one example that we should aspire to be. And there are great men and there are great women in the earth, but there's none greater than the Messiah himself. If I'm going to be looking at somebody's life as an example in which I want to emulate or imitate, there's really only one that truly qualify without flaw. When I look to others, I'm accepting the fact that I'm going to be emulating a flawed person. And therefore, I can justify my flaws. I'm not in the business anymore of trying to justify my flaws. I'm in the business of trying to clean them up. To acknowledge them, to recognize them, and to change them. When you know better, you do better. If you know better and you continue to do what you were doing, you ain't learned better. You just got knowledge. The application of knowledge doesn't make you wise. I'm sorry, the lack of application of knowledge doesn't make you wise. Having knowledge doesn't make you something special until you apply it. Yeshua demonstrated how to please Jehovah through obedience to his commands. Yeshua demonstrated how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He demonstrated it. Yeshua's death demonstrated how to defeat the devil. How? By dying to self-will. That's the only way you're going to defeat the devil. You see. And to whom much is given, a whole lot much more is required. The more the Almighty entrusts you with, the more he requires of you. Yeshua demonstrated that the ultimate success of fulfilling Father's will in our lives could only be achieved by the cross. Now, I added this, and I don't know how, uh, but I'm sure that'll get cleaned up. And I added it after I got here because it's like Father is, is uh, speaking to me. I'm telling you, it's, it's just been a wonderful time this morning. Yeshua's life demonstrated his power over sin. In his death, he gave us power over sin. Now, this to some would be considered anathema. It's like, brother, you're a sinner. You're always going to sin. Was Yeshua a sinner? <laughs> See? He was not a sinner. And yet, he lived in the earth. So what does that say to you and I? That says to you and I, we can overcome sin. You will not overcome sin if you don't believe. Why? Because all things are possible to them that believe. You see how the church and religion has taught us to be unbelievers when it comes to sin? Well, brother, you a sinner just like me. We sin every day. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. Does that mean that I'm saying I don't sin? No, that's just not my confession. That's not my confession. I recognize areas in my life. And once I see them, once the almighty shows them and expose them, then what's my responsibility? Clean it up. So if I make a mistake today, what's the goal? Not to make that mistake tomorrow. 
But how am I going to keep make, from making that mistake tomorrow? Don't do nothing about it today or do something about it today. Because what will happen is that it will continue to repeat itself until you correct it. So the simple formula, and I need to find this one. It's in James. I know the words. It's simply resist the devil or submit to Jehovah and he will flee. Who know that verse? James 4, 7. Verse 6 says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he said, Elohim resist the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to Elohim. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, that's what Yeshua did in the wilderness. Just resisted him. And how did he resist him? By not listening to him. By not taking his suggestions. When the enemy made a suggestion to Yeshua, Yeshua responded how? With the word. He not only responded with the words of the word, he responded with his actions by operating according to the word. And that's where we have to get. Not just having the knowledge of the word, because you can be a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. And therefore you are deceived. Having the knowledge is not power. People say, well, knowledge is power, brother. Well, yeah, knowledge is power if you apply it. What power is it just having it, knowing it? If you truly believe it has power, then why won't you apply it? So this is what Yeshua taught his disciples, and I'm going to bring this to a close. And he that taketh not his cross and follow after him, Matthew chapter 10, he, he taught them this prior to this moment, is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. There you go, right there. Peter was operating according to what his desires was, not realizing he was being used by the enemy. After Yeshua told him what was going to happen. No, it's like, if I don't do what I got to do, brother, you're going to be always being sifted by the devil. Matter of fact, he's sifting you right now. Then said Yeshua unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and do what? Follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And I do believe that that is the last slide. Now, I want to take some time and pray. We're going to give you an opportunity later to ask questions. But I need to um, take this time. Yesterday, and then again last night, and then this morning, I found myself interceding in prayer for specific things concerning people. Last week, as we were together, and I'd finished praying when I went home last week, I sensed and felt that 
the prayer that was prayed was not complete. I believe that there are healings, deliverances that are going to take place today. And it's important for those of you, because here's specific areas. One, I'm going to pray for Father's will to be done in our lives. That's the ultimate. But here's the areas for Father's kingdom to come. For healing power of the kingdom to come into our lives and in our body. I want to pray for the delivering power of the kingdom to manifest in our lives. We're going to come against worrying, stress, mental illness, anxieties, fears, tumors, heart disease, hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, blood disease, and whatever else he puts in my heart. But these are the things that he put in me yesterday, last night, and again to pray for today. So if you fit into any of these categories, you want to make sure that you join in faith, in agreement. And if you know people that fit into these categories, then join in prayer, in agreement for them. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your mercies. We know that your kingdom authority There is no sickness. There is no death. There is no disease. None of that operate in your kingdom. All of those things are in the earth. And this is our desire for why we want your kingdom to come. For your kingdom to be established in us for the delivering power of your kingdom to manifest in us, to manifest in our space, in our homes, in the loved ones, their lives, those people who are close to us, special to us, family members, friends, even coworkers and neighbors. We want your kingdom to come and all the power that comes with your kingdom being established in the earth. We know that as Messiah operated in kingdom authority, wherever he went, healing manifest, deliverance manifest, demons were cast out. The dead was raised. Those who were sick was raised up. And we see that power operating even in Acts where the shadow of Peter that came upon individuals were healed. We see father that your kingdom authority and power is available for us. For you have called us, told us to pray for your kingdom to come. And we pray for your kingdom to come, to be grounded, to be rooted, to be established in each of us and in the lives of our loved ones. We pray for the healing power of your kingdom to be established, to come and to penetrate and infiltrate our entire being. We want healing power, kingdom power manifesting in our lives from the tip of our hair to the follicles all the way through our brain, down our bodies to the tiptoes, all the way to the soles of our feet. We want your healing. We desire kingdom healing, kingdom power, kingdom authority. 
And we desire deliverance, Father, deliverance for your servants, deliverance power of the kingdom cause the deliverance of your kingdom coming to manifest in our lives. We claim your healing authority, your healing power. And we decree it in the name of Yeshua. We decree it. We cast out worrying, all manner of worrying about that which is to come, about tomorrow, about the next day, about any days ahead. Father, the circumstances that we're faced in our lives, whether it be issues with housing, issues with evictions, issues with car notes, insurance payments, whatever the case may be, employment, finances, whatever causes worrying in our lives, Father, reveal it. Give us the peace that comes from your kingdom, from the power of your presence in our lives. And whenever we revert back, even from this moment, Father, we pray for the conviction of your spirit to remind us of the deliverance and the kingdom authority you have made available to us. And with that worrying, we drive out stress, all manner of stress, stress in every area of our lives, whether we be young or older. Father, you know the circumstances that we deal with that bring stress. Give us your kingdom wisdom. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Show us what we need to see that we can lay aside all manner of stress because we know that worrying and stress cause us mentally to not think clearly. We come against mental illness in the name of Yeshua, all manner of mental illness that brings about anxieties, that brings about fears, that brings about worrying, that causes stress. We come against all manner of mental illness and every attack against our minds. For we know that according to your kingdom, according to your word, according to your instructions, according to you, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. And so we rebuke mental illness. We rebuke anxieties. We rebuke schizophrenia. We rebuke every illness attack against the mind in the name of Yeshua. And we decree soundness of mind, clarity of thought, the authority and power to think clearly, to think according to the mind of Messiah. In fact, Father, we desire the mind of Messiah to manifest in our mind even at this moment from this day forward. Help us to recognize Messiah's way of doing things, Messiah's way of thinking, Messiah's relationship with you, Messiah's obedience to your word and how he was led by your spirit. Help us to walk in that authority. You've made it available. We lay claim to it. We apply it and appropriate it in our lives. And any tumor, any tumor, wherever it may find itself, in any place in our bodies, we come against it in the name of Yeshua. All manner of tumors, all manner of, of sickness and disease in our organs, in our members, 
Any manner of disease, Father, operating internally in us, we rebuke it and cast it out. Sickness and disease of every kind that will attack our organs, our tissues, our bones, our blood. We rebuke it. Heart disease, hypertension, high blood pressure. We drive it out. We command it to cease and desist. High blood pressure, hypertension, Blood disease, you have no authority to be operational in our lives. And we disconnect and disassociate with those things that we've come in agreement with based on diagnoses. Coming in agreement with those, Father, who are in pharmacia, who have prescribed medication for the issues that we have or the issues that they say we have. Father, we come in agreement with you. Help us to lean, to glean, to yield to believe we come against doubt and unbelief all manner of doubt all manner of unbelief all double mindedness we rebuke it we rebuke it in the name of Yeshua and we thank you we thank you for normalized blood pressure we thank you for the normalized blood flow and all blockages and every hindrance in our bodies. We rebuke diabetes, all manner of diabetes, all manner of sickness that is associated, all the side effects from it. We curse it and declare and decree our bodies to produce what is necessary, all that which you have designed chemically within us to produce, to manufacture, we pray that our bodies will function and operate in accordance to your design. Help us to recognize the things that we're putting in it or putting on it or coming in contact with that is hindering our bodies from functioning according to the way you design. Give us clarity of mind. Give us understanding. Give us information and instruction. Lead us and guide us and show us what we must do specifically to our circumstances, to our situations, according to your spirit, cause us to be led to look, to seek, and to find that we might be able to function according to your design and live our lives to the ripe age that you have preordained. And so we rebuke all of these sicknesses. All of these diseases, all of these issues of infirmities. And then we decree no weapons formed against us shall prosper. And so, Father, we declare healing. We declare healing. We declare deliverance. We declare authority. We declare the mind of Messiah. We declare the will that you have ordained for your kingdom minded citizens to operate in accordance to kingdom mindedness, just like Messiah, that we might do the works that he did and the greater works that he said we shall do. We commit ourselves to it. We dedicate ourselves to it and we will be diligent. That's our heart desire, father, to be diligent that as we come to you, believe that you is and that you reward them that diligently seek you. 
Father, we are diligent in our pursuit of you, in our operating in accordance to obedience to your instructions. Help us. Help us. Help us. And so we accept our healing. We receive it by faith. We receive by faith our healing. We receive by faith our deliverance. Be glorified in our bodies. And then your hedge of protection be upon us and around us from this day forward. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.